0: So I encourage you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. We're back in 1 Corinthians. If you remember our teaching series, we're alternating between the book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians. As we're going through the book of Acts, we also want to go through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which talk about the gifts of the Spirit, the most exhaustive passage in the New Testament that talks about spiritual gifts. So as we see the Spirit moving and working in the early church, we also want to help flesh that out, how how should we expect the Spirit to work in our midst through us as a body of believers? And so we're going through 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, which helps us with that tremendously. Uh, so we, we haven't been in 1 Corinthians for a, f- a few weeks. The, the, the first time we were in 1 Corinthians 12, we, we talked about how the touchstone of the Spirit's activity in a believer's life is the exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord. Remember the first verse say concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be uninformed, Paul says, "Anyone, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. So that work in our lives, where, whereby we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, is a miraculous work of God's Spirit. We don't do that naturally. Everyone is born wanting to be Lord themselves. And it's a work of God's Spirit to cause us and give us a heart by which we bow our knees to Christ as Lord. Then the next passage dealt with unpack some of the gifts. It's not an exhaustive list, but some of the gifts that are given by the Spirit, like word of knowledge, word of wisdom, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, gifts of healing, miracles, etc. And, and help to describe what these gifts are. And one of the most helpful descriptions, I think, is in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, where it says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I love that word, manifestation. Don Carson, who's an evangelical uh, theologian, wrote a book, exegeting these uh, three chapters, or unpacking them, and he describes this as the ability by the Spirit to show the Spirit, to manifest the Spirit. And so that's what gifts are. They're manifestations of the Spirit. So they're not some isolated thing that the Spirit gives, but it is how the Spirit of God expresses himself or shows himself through Christians. So one Christian can receive a gift of healing, and that is how the Holy Spirit would manifest himself through them. The ability to pray for someone and see them healed, or a gift of prophecy, or administration, or helps, or mercy, etc. So, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And this morning, what I want to talk about is, you know, we see this beautiful metaphor in the text we're going to look at today. Whereby Paul helps us to understand this dynamic in the context of a church. We often think in terms of what gift do I have and how can I use that, and that's good. But Paul wants us to understand, he gives us this metaphor of a body, right? And it's such, an ingen- it's such a genius metaphor. I mean, it's not him, it's the spirit that inspired it. But it's a genius metaphor because everyone here, even some of the youngest in here, immediately understand this. There's, you, you have one body with many parts, Right? One body with many members, members being a hand, fingers, your eyes, your ears, your nose, your mouth, your feet, your legs, one body with many members. And so Paul wants to help encourage us to know how these gifts are to operate in the context of a church. It's not isolated individuals out doing their own thing, but it is working together for a common purpose to glorify Christ and to build people up. So, um, you know, again, even the youngest here, if if you've ever had a broken finger, broken foot, broken toe, uh, I know several broken toes in here, um, broken anything, or if you've you've ever had to have surgery because to have a kidney removed or something, you understand if a body is not functioning as it ought to, then it hinders the entire body. right? If 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 you have a broken... Alyssa broke her toe... uh, Was that a year ago? Two years ago now? Okay. She broke her big toe. I mean, it's just one toe. But it drastically altered what her entire body could do for the better part of a year. So we understand this. All right, let me read these verses. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12 through verse 26. Here's what it says. For just as the body is one and has many members, think of members like hands and feet, etc., and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Father, as we seek to understand this text, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be here in a special and powerful way, to speak through me I hope to speak accurately and represent your word well and rightly divided. I pray your spirit would speak through me this morning. I pray that your spirit would work in and among each person here so that we all understand we are part of one body, many members working together to exalt Christ and to build one another up. In Jesus' name, amen. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are gifted and empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve and contribute to the local church. The language of Paul can be applied and can be spoken of universally, right? There's one body of Christ in the entire world that, that, that constitutes every believer on every continent from all time, past, present, and future. But remember, Paul's speaking to a specific church, the church at Corinth. And so he expects them to apply this to their local context like we're supposed to. So if you're part of this church or if you're, part, you're visiting today but you're part of another church, if you are a follower of Christ, you believe in Jesus, you've repented of your sins, you've placed your trust in him and his finished work, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit in order to contribute to the body of Christ where he's called you. Here's the big idea from our text, okay? And this is what I want to spend most of the time unpacking this morning. There is one body with many members and diverse gifts, and this one body is to be united and mobilized to minister to one another. Let me say it again. There's one body with many gifts and, excuse me, many members and diverse gifts. That is to be united and mobilized to minister to one another. So think of yourself like this. You're you're a member of the body, a hand or a foot or a finger or an eye or an ear, etc. And you are to function as part of the body in that way to build up the entire body. You're to use the giftings that God has given you. To, and, and be mobilized in the church in order to build up the church, to build up the other people that you're part of the body with. Now, this, this idea, this, this main idea of the, of the text is stressed four times in this passage. There's almost the exact same language in verses 12, 14, and 20. Look at verse 12 again. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So he talks about a human body, right? There's one body with many members, and then he says, so it is with Jesus, so it is with Christ himself. And I think he wants to draw our attention to not only Jesus and his physical body, but Christ and his body, the church. Verse 14 says something very similar. It says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And verse 20, As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Many parts, one body. Right? Many, Many members, but one single body that we're part of. Paul's point is clear. The church is to function in this way. Verses 25 and 26 says that it so, has to function in this way so that there would be no divisions. So no divisions, no schisms. And that's the Greek word, schisma. So, so there's no schisms, no divisions. And so that there would be a deep concern to promote the good of one another. We see that in verse 25. That there may be no divisions in the body, but that the members may have the same care or concern or promote the good of one another. So when we come to church, or when we are when we come together, we're gonna to see this like in chapter 14, but we see very clearly right here that when we come together, each blood-bought believer in Christ that has the Spirit has something to bring. Okay? Uh, of course. I'd love to be able to sing really well and play the guitar. I just, that's not something I can do. I mean, I think I can sing well, but my kids say I can't. So, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. That's just not my part. Okay, so in the sphere of gifting that God has given us, we are to come with what we bring in order to build up the entire church. No division. Rather, ministering to one another. So this is totally clear, right? There's one body with many members and diverse gifts. That's to be united and mobilized to minister to one another. So that's that's what I want to see today. I I hope when you leave today, you you feel or experience this mobilizing for the purpose of ministry to the body through the power of the Spirit. So how do we move toward this precious reality? You know, we're—I um, think our natural bent is to be individuals, right? To focus on us as individuals. Well, especially in America, maybe maybe in other parts of the world, it's probably not that prevalent. Here in America, we love the story of the rugged individual that strikes out on their own and makes a name for themselves. And so, we need to humble ourselves and see how God not that the individual doesn't matter, not that I mean, the, the, the members matter, but only insofar as they're working toward building up the one body. So how do we move toward this precious reality? Well, what I want to spend some time doing is I want to look at two shared yet overlooked truths that we need to believe When I say believe, I'm talking like the verb believing, not passively trusting that that's true in some some distant way, but believe, two overlooked, shared truths that we need to believe. And then I want to look at two dangerous, and let me say, it is dangerous, but two divisive and prevalent errors that we need to reject. So two truths we need to believe, two errors we need to reject, okay? So let's start with the two truths we need to believe. How do we move forward or move toward being one body with many members and diverse gifts mobilized to build up the body? How do we do that? Two truths we need to believe. The first is we share in the one and only Holy Spirit. We all do. I wonder if you see that in this passage. Verse 13, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, this seems to be the main reason given by Paul to support unity in this text. Right after he says there's many members, one body, he says four, or because in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Why is there one body and many diverse members with various functions? Because in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. One spirit, all baptized into one body. This is the argument Paul makes. Clearly, Paul is seeking to bring the many members together, unified in this reality. We have all been baptized in one spirit into one body. Now, Paul deals with common distinctions. So he deals with Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. We think of people on the opposite ends of the spectrum, Jews and Greeks, naturally wouldn't have mixed slaves and free would not have mixed naturally slaves and slaveholders masters would not have mixed, mixed nat, uh, naturally and i think we could go on to make other to speak of other distinctions whether jews or greeks slaves or free male or female rich or poor young or old highly educated or uneducated all were baptized in one Spirit. The word baptized means to immerse or to submerge or to drench. And notice it is in the past tense. It's in the past tense. Paul says you all were, past tense, baptized, past tense. You all were baptized into in one spirit into one spirit body so let me ask you a question do you trust in Christ alone for your salvation have you repented do you trust in Jesus Christ alone not Christ and good works not Christ and your background but Jesus Christ alone i got i got news for you you have been baptized in the spirit you have been Drenched, submerged, immersed in the Holy Spirit. You guys look way too bored about that. I think that's amazing. The Holy Spirit of God has, you've been baptized in Him. That's, I mean, that's stunning. You know, when someone gets baptized in water, what happens? They go down in the water, they come up. I mean, when that person comes up out of the water, what are they? They're soaked. They're wet. Through faith in Christ, I think that's what Paul's saying, we have all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just think Christians need to know this. I think a lot of Christians walk around not understanding that they have been baptized in the Spirit. I realize this raises a few questions which maybe I've already answered. How does this happen? When does this happen? Who is this talking to? Who is Paul addressing? I think the answers to all these questions are found in where this baptism in the Spirit relocates us. It says, all were baptized in one spirit, or for in one spirit, all were baptized into what? One body. So we were relocated, right? We were baptized in one spirit, and we were relocated into one body, into the body of Christ. When does that happen? How does that happen? It happens through faith in Christ, doesn't it? It happens when we're converted. It happens when we voluntarily, joyfully bow the knee to Jesus as Lord and trust in Him as Savior. That's how this happens. When does it happen? Again, the very moment you believe. So who is this talking to? Who is the all that Paul is talking to? Well, it's talking to these people. It's talking to Christians. Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. He's he's speaking to an entire group. He's assuming that it's a Christian congregation, but of course there probably are non-Christians there. But this this is a promise. This is a truth for believers. Doesn't this unite us? That we share in this together? You and I were baptized in the same spirit. And relocated into the same body. Amazing. Amazing. We should be eager. We should be zealous to hold on to this unifying work of God's Spirit. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He tells us to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And then he goes on and says, There is one body, it's going to sound very similar to 1 Corinthians 12, one body and one spirit, just as you were called in the one hope that belongs to your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. We are we're all baptized in one spirit into one body. And we share that together. Any way to divide that up is to go, well, it's to be divisive. It is that there would be divisions in the body. And this, Paul says, that there may be no divisions in the body. We share in this together. The second truth or second truth that we share in together is that we share in God's building plan. We share in God's building plan. God has a design and desire in the way that he shapes and forms the body. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. God arranged, again, past tense, God arranged each member in the body as he chose, as he decided. First, notice it says that God is doing something according to his choice. It's not by our choice, it's by his choice, as he chose. I love the NASB how it says, as he desired. That God has desires for what the church looks like and God has arranged the members in the body accordingly. The word arranged, the Greek word me, means to put together in a certain way for one's purpose and use. God is not willy-nilly kind of trying to cobble this together as he goes. And thank goodness, you and I are not responsible to do that. We would we'd blow it God is composing, God is putting things together in a certain way for His own use. God in His wisdom and according to His desire has put us together. Isn't that amazing? You are not part of this body by accident and not even mainly because of your choice i find that deeply comforting and encouraging that there is there's a god in heaven above who's orchestrating his plan and purpose in and through us you're not here by accident not by your own choice primarily even Check out verse 24, the second part of verse 24. It says, But God has so composed the body. The word compose, compose again speaks of divine design. It means to mix together in order to unite. God mixes together different kinds of people with different gifts in order to unite them to make something beautiful. You know, God unites people that, I mean, God brings people together who would have nothing to do with each other in the natural. Now, I know you're thinking about someone in this, in this room right now, and maybe me, all right? And I'm just, I'm just glad God is composing things, right? He brings together... See, naturally, we just kind of gather with people that are like us, and we're going to see in just a few minutes, we gather with people that have similar giftings and similar bents that we have, and we just kind of build this little thing ourselves... That's how human beings build things. That's how we build groups of people. God brings together different kinds of people with different gifts, different functions, people that would have nothing to do with each other otherwise and brings them together so that he makes something beautiful that honors and glorifies his great name most. And so that the entire body is built up. Remember, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He's talking to a group of people, and when he's talking to them, when he writes to them, there are divisions among them. There are divisions among them. Early in the book, chapter 1, Paul says, I hear there's divisions among you. He says, some of you say, I follow Paul, and some say, I follow Cephas, and some say, I follow Apollos. and I mean, there was, there was this party spirit. Some say, I, I really like Paul. I like Peter. I like like Apollos. And Paul said, is Christ divided? There's divisions among these people. I mean, he's talking to a group of people. There really are divisions. And then there's, when we get into this discussion on gifts, we also know that there's probably divisions regarding the gifts. There are divisions. There are some in the church at Corinth, they, they speak in tongues, they, they love doing it, and there might be others that don't, and they're not sure what to think about it. And Paul is saying, God has so composed this body by bringing all of you together. Think about how, think about how churches divide these days. Not divide, but how they, how they gather into different groups. We could read through 1 Corinthians 12 and say, yep, there are churches that believe this, and there are churches that believe... There are churches that emphasize this, there are churches that emphasize this, and and there's all these divisions. God brings us together, certainly centered around the truth, but he brings us together. We are unified. We are all part of God's building plan. God has mixed us together in order to unite us. Now, do you see what this does if we believe this? Rather than making us passive, rather than making us passive, well, if God is, he's composing, he's going to do what he wants to do. Rather than making us passive, it actually gives us the encouragement we need to be effective right where God has placed us. Understanding he's He's composed us together. He he has arranged the body as he chose. So I'm here. I I want to be effective for God's glory and for the good of the body right here, right where he has me. So we share in the Spirit and we share in God's sovereign design of the body as he desires. This unites us. One body. One spirit, baptized in one, in one spirit into one body. This unites us. Now, if we believe these things, if we really believe these things, we need to hear two errors to reject as well. There's two errors in this passage. And they're divisive. One of them is more obviously divisive, but both of them are divisive. And I think they're prevalent. I think they're I think they're common errors. Two divisive and prevalent errors to reject. And these errors, what they do is they they have a tendency to pull us apart. to To pull apart. The first error is this. The first error we need to reject is this. It's the error that says, I don't belong. Verses 15 and 16. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now, some commentators have suggested that these verses communicate an attitude of envy or jealousy, kind of like, why can't I have the gift that they have? And it could be. I think it's probably more likely to be communicating an attitude of not belonging Sense of uselessness and not not being a part, right? Perhaps because of feelings of inferiority or unimportance in terms of gifting and function in the church. In fact, we see the words twice in these two verses. I don't belong to the body. Right? The hand says to the foot because I'm not a foot, or the foot says to the hand because I'm not a hand. I don't belong. The, eyes say to, or the ears say to the eyes, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong. Now, I have great compassion for those who say this. I've heard it many times over the years. I just don't know that I belong. I just don't feel like I fit in. I just don't know my place. And if that leads you to, try to seek to understand better where your place is, amen. But if it leads you just to distance yourself from people, I don't belong here. I just don't feel like I belong. I don't fit in. I have compassion for you, but I really do. I want you to know that you, in fact, do belong. But I also want to say you need to realize that with that attitude, you're creating division in the body. And I say that with tenderness, I say that with love for you. You're creating division in the body. Paul's answer is in verse 17. And verse 19, he says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Do you hear what Paul's saying? You think that you need to be an eye in order to belong here? Paul's saying, You're not supposed to be an eye. You're supposed to be an ear. If we had had too many eyes but no ears, I mean, we'd be hurting. That wouldn't be helpful. If you were an eye instead of an ear, we'd be deaf. We wouldn't be able to hear. Now, I realize this sounds strange, but, but if you had the option, okay, just, Paul says it, right? He says if, if if all were a single member, where would the body be? So he he says it for us. So We've got to just use our sanctified imagination. All right, if you had the option here, from here on, to be one, your entire being was an eye. You could see in every direction at all times, forward, backward, side to side, up, down, everywhere. Or, You could have all the parts of your body functioning well. Which would you choose? I don't know any person in their right mind. (laughs) I'd be the eye. That'd be awesome. Roll around, you know. I mean, I don't know how that would work, but... (laughs) No. Even the thought of it. I mean, to be just, and it's grotesque. It's grotesque, but we need, no, we need the ability, the ability to hear and to get from one place to the next, and we need our hands to do work. I think Paul even puts these in the order to signify that, that there might be a way of looking at our eyes as superior to our ears and our hands as superior to our feet, right? If a foot could talk, they might say, I'm, you know what? I can't do what a hand does. A hand is so useful. You eat with a hand, you make stuff with your hand. But think about how useful a foot is. An ear might say, you know what? The eyes get to be in the front of the head, you know? I mean, they see everything. That's like the way that we... the, The ability to see just seems more important than the ability to hear. But think about how important your ears are. And Paul is saying, don't say you don't belong. You're not supposed to be an eye if you're an ear. And you're not supposed to be a hand if you're a foot. The body needs you. The second air that we need to reject is the air that says this. I don't need the body. The one air says, I don't belong. The other air says, I don't need you. Verse twenty one: The eye cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of you," nor again the head to the feet, "I have no need of you." This is the attitude of I. I'm in kind of an elite group. I don't need others. Pretty self sufficient myself. Or perhaps this isn't, isn't exactly where Paul goes with it, but I think we could we could draw from this. I'm a head. I just like I can I can do with just other heads. I'm an eye, I just I can do with just other eyes. I don't need the ear. Okay. I, or it's a way of saying, I don't need people like you. This is the attitude Paul's addressing. And we just need to know that's divisive. It creates divisions in the body. Paul says, Yes, you do. You who say, I don't need them. I don't need that person. I don't need that kind of gifting function. Paul says, Yes, you do. You need the rest of the body. Now, I did some extensive research on the word need. I got all of my study tools out. And it's amazing what the word need means. You guys know what it means? It means need. It's amazing, right? Need. I think there's something, and I probably have even said this. Now, there's a right way where we say, all, all I have is Christ, and that's enough. But there is a way of taking that way too far, where we begin to think in our minds and even have this sense in our hearts that I really don't need other people. And for you to be glorified, for you to make it to the end of your life, believing in Christ, sanctified, growing in godliness, becoming more and more like Jesus, you need each other. And I need you. Are you under the illusion you don't need the body, that you don't need the church? Well, Paul is talking to you then. Look at how Paul answers in verses 22 to 25. He says, On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Can't do without them. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we actually bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. Paul, as he so often does, turns our expectations on their head, doesn't he? To the spiritually proud, and I don't, I don't know about you, I needed to hear this this week. This is talking to me. This is talking to me. And maybe some of you too. To the spiritually proud, like me, Paul says, the member with that seemingly insignificant gift, they are actually indispensable to the body. Can't do without them. You cannot move on without them. The body actually shuts down and dies without them. How often do you think about your kidneys? I think a kidney's like uh, the size of a fist or so, maybe or a big, fi- you know, a larger fist. Maybe not a kid's fist, but four inches or so. It's like this size, not very big. If I set it out on, on a table before you, you know, one that got removed from someone in surgery, and you'd be totally grossed out. I know you'd probably lose your appetite for lunch. Um, and it's kind of fragile. I mean, you know, if, if I sit on the table, you wouldn't want to just set a kidney out and leave it there if it needs to be used for someone else, like transplant or something. Because it could fall on the ground and get kicked around or punctured or, you know, whatever, stepped on. But do you think your kidney's pretty indispensable? Yeah, you probably haven't thought about it this last week. Maybe maybe the last six months, unless you're in school or you're helping your kids with some school or something, an anatomy class. But your kidney's pretty darn indispensable. I mean, if you don't have a kidney, you don't live. And and actually it's interesting because if you get a tiny little rock like the size of a grain of sand in your kidney somewhere, I think it's probably actually one of the tubes that connects to the kidney, called a kidney stone. It will take the largest, toughest dude to his knees. His body shuts down. He's done. It's indispensable. Your kidney needs to function, kidneys, at least one, preferably two, need to function well. And just like that, you need the body of Christ, perhaps especially that weaker brother or sister. I was reminded this last week of of, of a dear sister who... Um, you know, it, ju- it was a rebuke from the Lord. All right? I'm just going to be honest. Who shared something, and oftentimes when she speaks, I'm probably just not, my ears are not open. I'm not not super excited to hear what she has to say. I mean, it just, it's just a, it's, it's a weakness of mine that the Lord rebuked. But I was reminded of how this this girl got up and shared something one time at a study or something like that. and And God used it in such a profound way. I mean, someone that... I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. I need the body. I need the body. I need you. And I've had to repent this week multiple times for the times when I have in my heart, I've never said out loud, right? Because I'm, I'm too humble. Oh, no, I'm not too humble. Okay. Uh, to say this out loud, I don't need them. But as the thoughts enter my mind, And the attitude's been in my heart. We need the body. We need the body. Christ suffered and died so that there would be no divisions among us, so that we would understand the massive things that we share in Christ. We share in one baptism into one body, one baptism in one spirit into one body and so that we would know we belong to the body and we need the body. He died to unite different people with various gifts as one body loving and serving one another. Now, there's one phrase that I purposely overlooked, and I thought it'd be just a fitting place to land this morning. There there is one more thing we share, but it's actually like this present reality that we share. It's not something in the past. It's something that we share Um, but it's something that we are to actively pursue, I believe. And it's this. It's the second part of verse 13. It says, the first part says, in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jew, Greek, slave, free, and then this. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Present tense. All were made to drink now. For the rest of our lives, to be nourished, to be revived, to be renewed, to be refreshed. All were made to drink of one Spirit. Whereas our baptism in the Spirit was in the past, our drinking of the Spirit is a present tense reality. This is where we, we receive present empowerment and the grace to turn outside of ourselves to care. For the body to care for one another to love and serve and minister to one another now when do you feel like taking a drink <clears throat> this is not a trick, trick question when you're thirsty right when you're thirsty <clears throat> well how many people are thirsty this morning you know the bible gives so many promises To those who are thirsty. I mean, really, just think of it this way. How many see their need? To be thirsty is to be in need. You go thirsty long enough, you die, right? You shrivel up, you're dead. How many see their need? If you see your need today of grace, of God's strength, of God's power, of God's encouragement, of his empowerment so that you can serve and love and bless and minister to one another, then I have good news for you. You were baptized, if you believe in Christ, in one spirit, into one body, and you were made. Think of it. You were made to drink of one spirit. You were not made. We sang the song earlier. It's not a little different thought, right? But how precious is the flow That makes us white as snow. No other fount I know. You were made to drink on this world. You were not made to be drunk on riches and this world. You weren't made for that. In Christ, you were made to drink and drink and drink and drink and be satisfied in one spirit. So how do we drink of the spirit? Well... I think, and I don't have time to unpack this and, and, and I, I wouldn't want to anyways. I just want to trust the Spirit to, to drive this home to us. I think the answer is the, in the words of Jesus in John 7, verse 37. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, so if you are, he's talking to you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me The believing is believing and keep believing. So I'm believing, I'm living a life of belief. Not, yeah, I did that one time. No, 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 believing. Whoever believes, actively believes, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, Jesus spoke this about the Holy Spirit before the Holy Spirit was poured out, before he was glorified and the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so I think this is a promise for us. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And how do we drink? Jesus tells us whoever believes in me. Whoever believes, a believing believer, someone who lives a life of belief. I'm, I'm believing in Christ. I'm I'm fixing my eyes on him. Reed mentioned that earlier, right? The author and the perfecter of our faith. Always, my eyes must always be on him if I'm going to have endurance to run this race. And our eyes must always be on him if we want these rivers of living water to flow out of us. What does that mean? Well, it may not only mean this, but I think at least somewhat it means that it would flow out of us and hit other people and touch them. So are you thirsty? Jesus has rivers of satisfying living waters for you. It comes through believing and continuing to believe in the once for all finished work of Christ. Believing in that. And tomorrow, believing in that. Later, believing that later today, I'm trusting in Him. I am made right with God. He's poured out His Spirit, right? He's given me a Spirit. He's, I've been baptized through faith in Christ in one Spirit, into one body. Believing and continuing to believe. That's how we drink. That's how we drink. The person who is full of the Spirit is someone who is full of faith, full of confidence in Christ. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit, I believe. Or at least that's one way, one way to describe it. So, let's believe. Let's believe. Let's pray. Father, this morning, as, as we get ready to leave this morning, I pray that we would be believing believers trusting in all that Christ has accomplished. Jesus paid the price for us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus paid the price for us to belong in the church. Jesus paid the price for us to be unified as one. Jesus paid that price. This morning I pray, Father, every thirsty soul would come to Christ and drink deeply and leave full and satisfied and ready to turn outside themselves and love and minister to one another for your great honor and glory in Jesus' name.